Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, the dream business coach, coming to you from, well, as we're doing this, from northern Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. But I think, actually, as you're listening to this, Stephanie and I are traveling south on our way to Florida (laughs) because we are... uh, a couple months into our show right now, but I've got a really, really cool guest. Katrina Burris is my guest, and she is a, a fellow coach. She's got quite a background internationally, um, grew up in Switzerland, now lives in Vegas. Um, so let me read her bio. Dr. Katrina Burris is CEO and founder of Excellent Executive Coaching, is known for fast-tracking leaders to the C-suite and beyond and for transforming brilliant jerks into aspiring leaders. <laughs> That's an eye-catcher. Clients often comment that working with Katrina enlightens leaders to empower coworkers to walk the extra mile. She is a keynote speaker and has published Managing Brilliant Jerks and Global Leadership, a body of work used by such companies as Nestle and Novartis, the World Health Organization, the International Labor Organization, United Nations, just to name a few. She has 18 years of experience as the first master certified coach and founding board member from the ICF, which is International Coaching Federation in Switzerland. That is quite a bio, Katrina. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm delighted to be here talking to you, Jim. Yeah, it's fun. You know, um, so you live in Vegas. So a good friend of mine and longtime coaching member uh, lives in Vegas. I'm just curious, how did you go from Switzerland to Vegas? Talk about two, two extremes. I think of Switzerland as, you know, just beautiful and, and the, I guess the Alps. I don't want to show my too much naivete. But, and then Vegas is all, you know, lights and skyscrapers and, you know, big hotels and casinos. Well, there's also mountains in Las Vegas, but I went from mountains with a lot of snow year-round to mountains with a lot of rock (laughs) year-round. A lot of brown, huh? Yes, that's right. That's super. But uh, hey, it's it's great because life is so different in Switzerland, and uh, the the thoughts I had to, to start a business there are quite different from starting a business here. So that's interesting. So I'm curious when you start, so when you were in Switzerland, did you, so you started your business in Switzerland because I know you said you wrote, you wrote a book in French and um, worked with a lot of international companies. Did you, did you go to college and study to become an accountant and then said, I don't want to do that. So you became a coach. Like what was the transition point? Well, you're almost right, really. Is that right? (laughs) That's right, because I did a master's in global studies. I did another master's in coaching, obviously. And I did a third one on human development. And then I did my PhD. So education I had, but after the... before I did my PhD, I went, I wanted to, I'm binational, I'm Swiss and American, but grew up in Europe. And uh, I was uh, doing my master's here in the U.S. and I wanted to go back. So I went back to Switzerland. And yes, so of course I had the education with me, but I started in the Swiss bank, Credit Suisse, which is at the time, it's changed, 
but at the time was based on a military and a lot of military vocabulary was there. And women, I can't say were really promoted that much. There was only 2% in senior management positions. Wow. And so um, it was a different environment. And so when you got into coaching, um, did you know you wanted to work like an, at the C-suite level? Did you work your way up to that? Like what, what attracted you to that part of coaching? Well, I, when I was in the banking for several years, at least six, I said, okay, I've always wanted to do a PhD, something that I wanted to do. So I thought, okay, I'll have two kids now. <laughs> I'll do a PhD, do some philanthropic uh, actions, and then I'll start my own business. But I didn't know in what, because here I had a golden cage. I was a banking, well-paid part of the, the, the up-and-coming leadership pool. And uh, I left everything because all of a sudden my passion disappeared. But I really didn't even know uh, where and what I was going to do. And then uh, I saw, oh, my coaching was you know, hardly anybody knew about coaching. This was 97, 98. Uh, and then so when I left, I left uh, the bank. I did my PhD. I had two kids. And the day I finished my PhD, I started my business in coaching. So I thought, oh, I've got to, I, I met, okay, I'm going to tell you the transition. I, I loved to analyze companies because, and what made them so valuable. And if you look at the price earnings, you say, okay, why would this price earning be so high because of good leadership? So that fascinated me. So when I left the banking for other reasons, because I didn't like the politics involved, I was still super interested in leadership. So I went to this. Uh, University of Geneva, and I talked and saw the conference of Peter Brabeck, who was the up-and-coming CEO of Nestle. And I listened to him and looked at the audience and listened to him and looked at the audience. And then I don't know what got into me, because I'm pretty shy in some ways. I sent him a letter and said, look, I thought your speech was terrific, but here, these are the points that I would improve. You know, what gall. <laughs> wow. Who the heck was he? <laughs> that was funny. Good for you. Uh, and um, he wrote me a thank you letter. That's fine, you know, which was nice enough. But I, life had it that I was invited to a party and I came with a scooter because I love scooters and in mm -hmm. Switzerland, a lot of them. And he had seen me come uh, to this party because it was on the first floor. And uh, he's a motorcycle freak. You know? So I go up to the party and I see him. And I say, I'm not a groupie. I didn't like politics. I'm not a groupie. But we're, there were people swarming around him, breathing the same oxygen as him. And I said, oh, no, this is not me. So right. it was a buffet style. And I was with all my girlfriends, and one of them left. And here I find the, the Peter Brabeck, CEO of this company, sits down next to me and starts justifying why he didn't have time to do what he had to do, you know, to make this. Interesting. Okay. And I had the gall enough and said, but, you know, I could help you because, you know, there's different types of 
interpreting information by your different styles and your different preferences. And we could look at that. And so he said, okay. And I said, oh my God, what did <laughs> I just do? So he gave me an appointment and he was an hour and a half late because the press was interviewing him. And when he came to the appointment, I said, oh my God, what have I done? I was practically shivering. Didn't know what exactly what to do. <laughs> and I don't know, I, I blanked out what I did or what I said. But after that, I said, you can't improvise to be a coach. I'll never be in the situation where I'm ill at ease. So I went back and did my third master's on coaching. And that, in that meeting, he had me look and edit his speech to his top 200 leaders. So, uh, and at first, uh, I, I did that and spent, I don't know, days looking at it because I was terrified, but I did a good job. And then he asked me, please send me your invoice. And I said, no, 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 I'm not going to send you an invoice. I did this because I, I sincerely think I could help you. And, and I asked him, did you look at my changes and everything and sent it out? before the big conference to these 200 people. He said, no. So I said, don't send an invoice. The next year, same thing. But look, I would have paid to read this. This was all confidential information of all the strategy. Look, I would have, I mean, second year asked me the same thing. I asked him, excuse me, the same thing. Did you send the information and the speech before? after I made the changes. He said, no. So I said, don't send the invoice. Third year, he did. Third year, he did. So that's started a relationship. And, and, uh, and what was the takeaway from that is, first of all, I think that approach that not making him pay, even though I had just started my business and believe me, I needed the money. Uh, but it set a confidence that I was not going to use him unless I brought value. Mm. But you determined that the fact that he didn't read it, the changes, he just, uh, he just, I'm sure he got it back and go, she knows what she's doing. We'll go with this. Do you, what did, how did, well, how did you take that? He didn't, he did read it. Oh, okay. Of course, he did read it, but he didn't use the changes or uh, so. Well, how did I take that? Okay. Got to do better. Oh, okay. And also, he was just testing me. He was testing me. Mm. At the third year, I felt a lot more confident. I knew what he wants. I know he, he didn't really give me feedback. He always uh, thanked me for it. But um, when he started using my work, then, then, you know, then I felt much more confident. And then he started referencing me to my first clients. Wow, that's awesome! What a I mean, what a client that's going right to the top. <laughs> uh, you know, CEO of Nestle. That's huge. Um, I'm intrigued by by the title of your book, "Managing Brilliant Jerks: um, How Organizations and Coaches Can Transform Difficult Leaders into Powerful Visionary." Is that just to like stop you as you're scanning the bookshelf, or is there a meaning behind jerks? What, how did you come up with that title? Well. 
I was, uh, I used to say uh, difficult leaders, abrasive leaders, toxic leaders. And then I said, well, you know, these, these are often very brilliant people, very good at what they do, highly good experts. Companies want to keep them because of their expertise, but they're interpersonally blind. It's like driving a car. You see 2020 in front of you, but there's a blind sector. And uh, so I thought, well, there's a possibility to help these people. I had a brilliant jerk of a stepfather and it took me a while to understand that his intent was good, but he just, he, he was so abrasive that all I listened and or heard was how he said it and not what he was saying. So that's one of the psychological reasons why I chose that topic. The other one was coaching. When I did it, uh, I was a master certified coach in 2002. Well, coaching was new. People didn't know what really what it was in Switzerland anyway. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was still very innovative. And so I got a lot of press. But, you know, 10, 15 years later, everybody called themselves a coach, the teachers, people out of the job, and there was no barrier to entry. So I said, I've got to find a system to get out, to be perceived like everybody else. And so I thought, what are the cases that no newbie wants to do. And that's the difficult high-end um, senior leaders. Wow. So um, I know in chapter, th or chapter four is called Toxic Behavior is a Virus. Wait, is that about the toxic behavior of how one person can like make an entire organization sick or is it like the, how the actual behavior spreads or what, what did you mean by that? Well, the thing is, um, if top leader leaders uh, are pretty toxic in their ways, people that work for them think, ah, and that's the way to succeed here and start emulating that behavior because it thinks it's a sign of success. That's the risk. I'm not saying it's always that way. So that's one thing. That, uh, and then the other, if they have abrasive or toxic behavior, People are starting to react to the leader according to his mood and not according what's best for the company. So that really has a huge cost and productivity for the company. It's interesting. Um, I'm curious, Katrina, how do you, is your work, are you, do they bring you, do companies bring you in to work with a, with a brilliant jerk, so to speak? And, do you transform their uh, personal behavior, which I'm, I'm guessing is really the problem? Because again, as you stated earlier, they do have some really good skills. So how do you transform them from being like a brilliant jerk into, you know, being an engaging leader or, or a team player? Uh, well, I have a process. I've uh, built a process out of since I'm coaching since for years. And uh, I first uh, helped them develop self-awareness, which I call uh, that's working on one-to-one. -one. But even before that, which a lot of people or coaches don't do, is look in the, within the organization. What are the systems or the processes uh, that help leaders know exactly what is good leadership, what they sh should aspire to, what are they doing? Like, uh, like, for example, at the end of the year, not only 
think about results, but how it was reached? Uh, or do they have systems in place to evaluate the leadership, not only by the boss, but also by the employees? Uh, that's an example um, of how to look within the organization to have more empowering leadership. And then I work on the individual level, which is I educate, I call it the first, the second E, which is educate, it's self-awareness. Because Daniel Goleman said, if you have no self-awareness, it's difficult to have social awareness. So we start by how they think, how, how their values, what triggers them. Because when they're triggered, it's a fight or flight reaction. And so if they're more aware of what's triggering them, uh, they can have more control on how they're going to do that. And especially if they know that strategically, if they react one way, they'll get better results. And if they react another, what are the consequences of that? And so then I go to what I call empathize. How do you develop empathy in these, these um, how do you say, brilliant jerks, as I say affectionately? It's, they have to project uh, what they see in their boss, for example, and then try to analyze what's the similitude and the difference with themselves. So what they learned in the educate self-awareness, they start applying it to the boss. So why do I choose a boss? Because usually the boss has an influence on their career. And so they're pretty motivated to have that feedback. If there's conflict, then I also help the boss for this triad meeting that I create. Sometimes my client is abrasive, but his boss is an avo avoidant conflict-averse person. So in that case, you would help the boss also say things clearly because they have to know the consequences of their behavior if it doesn't work out. So, but it's not because they learn more and communicate better with their boss that they know how to develop leadership agility. That is what they need to do and change in their behavior to motivate the person in front of them according to their specific motivating factors, competence, et cetera. So then, then I do research work in the company to find out how they are perceived and their qualities and what would make the relationship more productive. And while I do that, I also research how flexible is the company to change? What are the cultural attributes of the company? Because research shows that 40% of leaders fail after 18 months in a new assignment. And wow. one of the biggest factors is they can't adjust to the culture. That's interesting. I, I've, I've never heard. That. That's amazing. So they, they climb all the way up to that position, and then you're saying 40% fail in 18 months. Yes, that's right. And that's, that's a an, cultural thing. It's a, so it's not really a skill set, but they're not adapting to the culture. That's right. Now, of course, wow. it could be other things, but cultural mis- Alignment is one of the biggest. And so when you do research work, you see, are people really waiting for change and want it? Well, you can have a strategy that's much more rapid. Or are people saying, oh, one more leader, what is he going to do? And go and, you know, put the heels uh, against the wall for change. So you're going to have a different strategy. So that information I can bring back 
to the leader and to probably, it's confidential, huh? It's confidential. Anything personal is confidential to the leader. But sometimes, for example, I, everything is so confidential that uh, I really don't share anything personal with my client. But one day, the CEO of the company of this multinational calls me in and says, Katrina, I hear that you're interviewing everybody. What can you tell me? And I said, oh, my God, I'm not going to tell him anything about my client so what am I going to tell him to divert his attention? Well, after a month of interviews, I had 10 points where his company uh, could improve or the issues at hand. Okay. So I went to his office and I said, look, can I tell you about your company? Bum, 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 bum. He nearly fell off his chair. So I, I'm a little surprised that people don't do more research work when they do their coaching because many of these top leaders are hired to implement change. So might as well know. That. Wow. So this is, I love this conversation, but I've only got like five more minutes for this episode, but I want to ask you, um, what, so like when that CEO called you in, he thought he hired you as the coach to go work with this person, but you, part of your uh, process is to talk, you know, with others in the company. Is that, was he kind of surprised that you were doing that? Well, he was, he was curious because he says, why is she talking to all these people for this coach of this uh, top director? senior? Yeah, why, why isn't she just fixing him, him yeah. or her? <laughs> uh, and so uh, why not bring more value added if you can? And I was also didn't want to divert the conversation from anything personal I was sharing with my client. Right. Wow. Yeah. So do you, you're almost like the fixer. You're like a turnaround person, but you work with personnel and not necessarily, you know, companies, plants, processes, and things like that. I really work with the leader at hand. And mm -hmm. I just want to clarify that if I say managing brilliant jerks, it's really because I think uh, they're usually valued by their expertise or their know-how or for their change management. But after a while, they risk really being fired because of their interpersonal, lack of interpersonal skills. And I think it's, it's just postponing, it's firing the people, which potentially that depresses the employees. It's uh, sending them to some place where they have no more impact on people, which is not really leveraging their strength, or uh, they put them in another department, they start all over. So why not really go to the, the core of the problem? Uh, and uh, I mean, these people are very bright. Yeah. If you give them irrefutable data and very specific, I'm going to give you one more example. So this was a woman that was brilliant, knew the company inside out, but uh, she was excellent in Eastern Europe where their ways are a little bit more in your face and then went to Asia and was responsible for a big area. Well, that didn't go well at all. And the kind of feedback you can get, she walked, they, they said, oh, she doesn't communicate well. Well, that, what does that mean? She can't do anything with that. What does communication mean? Well, how does she express it? Well, that's what's with interviews. You can get to the degree of detail that she walked three steps ahead of her employee. And every time her employee said something or asked something, she would roll her eyes and sigh, totally unaware that she was doing this. And she was brilliant and thought 
a lot faster than most. You see what I mean? So yes. when you give that information, they can do something about it. When you, I'm going to try and squeeze in another question because I love this topic. When you work with somebody like that, initially, do they feel like, oh boy, uh, they brought in Katrina, you know, Dr. Dr. Burris, I must be in trouble. Are they a little, you know, in denial? Are they belligerent? Do they even fear for their job? Do they think they're like, look, I'm very brilliant. And so they can just put up with my, you know, idiosyncrasies or just curious what it's usually like. Very good points. can be anything of the above. Now. I'll just say that uh, I coach uh, executives to be adapt quicker and more productively in a new assignment or a new position. So I don't only do and work with uh, brilliant jerks, as I call them. But yeah, the, the ones that have interpersonal skills, yeah, they say, oh my God, she's going to try to make me soft, you know, fuzzy wuzzy. No. So I, uh, it's a whole attitude. But once they understand that it's in their best interest, uh, I mean, these people are very smart. Yes. Otherwise, as you say, you don't get to be brilliant and very important to a company without being smart, you know? So maybe it's just a transition to, I'm sure, I'm guessing the first meeting might not go too well, but you're obviously good at what you do. Well, I would love to have you back sometime. I find this whole conversation very fascinating and not to the level that you you are but i mean many many years ago in my career i was regional manager for for a large retailer and i had some people who were very very good at what they do whether it was sales or or whatever but man i didn't i didn't call them brilliant i think i just called them jerks but they were so good at what they did but then i found them to be you know a little bit like a cancer within the organization i did my best to fix them but obviously didn't have your training but it's it's so interesting how one person despite their really, really talented side, can, can wreak havoc in an organization. No, you're absolutely right, Jim. Wow. So, well, thank you so much. I'm sure people want to know to, where, where's your podcast. And I know you, you had an actual TV show in Switzerland, and now you have like a YouTube channel, I believe. Can you give out some information so people can look you up? Yes, thank you, Jim. Um, the podcast I have is Excellent Executive Coaching. And uh, my website is called excellentexecutivecoaching.com. There is an ebook of how to stop abrasive behavior and also an article on the first step of my process, which is called Emerge, what you can look in the organization uh, to discourage uns- uncivil behavior. And uh, of course, Katrina Burrus, I'm on the social media. Thank you so much, Jim. This was lovely. I really enjoyed talking to you. I had a great time. I'm really glad my uh, my boat Wi-Fi held out because this was really important stuff. And and this this kind of um, these kind of things happen at every level. And I say even entrepreneurial companies who have one employee, you're, you have the best boss and the worst boss. <laughs> Can sometimes be a, a a a brilliant jerk, and sometimes he's just brilliant. But anyway, I digress. Katrina, thank you so much. I really look forward to uh, sharing this with our audience. Thank you so much, Jim. And you have a wonderful time on your. Your, your boat, I can visualize it and I envy you because what, what an adventure. It's, you know what, just what's going on in the, in the world, not just our own country, but with the pandemic and everything, we actually feel safe. I mean, we're quite removed from 
general population. And when, you know, during the, um, the hardcore kind of shutdown for six weeks, or whatever it was, we just, it didn't change our life at all. Stephanie and I live on the boat with our dog and, you know, so it wasn't, wasn't, so we kind of like it. It's a, we're going to do it for several more years until health or something, or maybe whatever changes, but yeah, we're really enjoying it. So anyway, well, thank you so much. Great. Thank you, Jim. Take care. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special interview with, with Dr. Katrina Burris. And um, go check her out at excellentexecutivecoaching.com. We'll make sure we put that in the notes. And um, until this time next week, I am Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. You take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.